The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Good morning. Can we say thank you to the band? Well, good morning. Good to see everyone. Uh, Happy birthday. One year? Good job. You guys look fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, give yourselves a hand. One year. It's awesome. Uh, Well, my name is Gideon Sang, and uh, I've been journeying with Ecclesia for over 10 years now, and knew Wayne back in the day six years ago, and it's great to reconnect again. And so I thought this morning, um, in light of your birthday, and in light of us approaching Advent uh, next Sunday, I thought maybe we could begin a conversation on rootedness and roots. That I'll begin, and you can take back into your homes and your families and continue. So why don't we do this? Um, When you think of roots and rootedness, what comes to mind? Like, how does that make you feel? All right, so turn to a neighbor and share that. Go ahead. All right. Any, anything come to mind? How does it make you feel when, we, when you think of roots or rootedness? Anybody? Safe. Safe. Okay, good. Family. Family. Traditions. Good. Anybody else? So how many of us, when you think about this, it feels like a little engulfing? Like, it feels like, oh, I don't know if I can commit to that. Any of us? Like, kind of a hard thing. Some of us. How many of us, you, you long for roots and rootedness? So it's like a positive thing. Okay. So I was thinking through this, and uh, my in-laws were visiting Japan about a month ago. And they were on an Asian tour bus. I have a picture of my mother-in-law and her cute friends on this tour of Japan. Very cute. So there was a couple on this bus who had gone to school in Japan, and they were going to swing by that town, so they thought, great, I can bring a donation. So this couple brought with them on this tour 18,000 U.S. dollars in cash in two socks. He got a sock, she got a sock, nine grand each. So they're touring Japan, they're having a wonderful time, they're in Tokyo and they're in Kyoto. And then on this one particular day, they're on the countryside. It's gorgeous. They're among the trees. They're hiking. And somewhere in that day, he loses his sock filled with $9,000. So the entire tour bus, they're in a panic. Everyone's looking for the sock, and they, they can't find it. And so the tour bus must continue. They make a police report. And as he's driving off, he's looking out the window. Somewhere in that forest is his sock filled with $9,000. Can you imagine that? Then three days later, an elderly Japanese man, just going for a walk, having a wonderful afternoon, enjoying himself in the beautiful nature, looks down, and he sees a sock. He opens the sock, and he finds $9,000. What would you have done? The first thing he does, he goes, oh, I should call the police. He calls the police. They go, oh, we know whose sock this is. Bring in the sock, and I will personally deliver this sock to its rightful owner. So they take the sock. At this point, they're 100 miles away. 
He gets in his car and drives a hundred miles and hand delivers this sock. They try to tip him, give him a gift. He's like, no, no, this is yours. And when I heard that story, I was like, I don't know if that happens anywhere else in the world. I probably would have, you know, taken a 20 for myself or something like that. So the question I've been asking is this. What is Japanese culture rooted in that allows for this kind of practice? And the question I want to ask this morning is this. What are you rooted in? And who are you rooted with? And over time, what will be the fruit and the practice of that? Henry Nouwen says it like this. He says, when we are securely rooted in personal intimacy with the source of life, it'll be possible to remain flexible without being relativistic, convinced without being rigid, willing to confront without being offensive, gentle and forgiving without being soft, and a true witness without being manipulative. Isn't that beautiful? And so the question this morning is, I don't know how long you've been a part of this community. Maybe this is your first week. Maybe you've been here the entire year. But the invitation is, will you collectively root with this community, with these people? And then over time, what will be the fruit and the practice and the life that comes with that? And so this morning, we're going to be in John 15. We'll have verses 4 through 8 on the screens. So why don't you do this? Uh, turn to your neighbor and then read aloud verses 4 through 8, and then we'll walk through it. All right? Go. All right. Let's pick this up in verse 4. Jesus says, remain, or we could say for our purposes this morning, root in me as I also remain or stay rooted in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It's not a solitary practice. It's collective. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So a couple observations here. When I first read this, uh, I realized how conditional my brain is or the way I see God. So when I first read this, I thought, oh, God's saying, uh, remain in me, and I'll see if you do a good job. Right? I'll just passively wait, and then I'll grade you. Right? Do it better, have more discipline, and then if, if you do a good job, maybe I might remain in you. Is that what it says? No, it says remain in me as I also remain in you. And I realize, oh, I'm the one that's conditional. I'm the one that's transactional. God's always unconditional. I already love you before you first loved me. Now love me in return. I'm already remaining with you. Now remain with me. Does that make sense? Then the second thing I notice is how often Jesus goes, he really goes into our addiction of our exterior lives. So time and again, he invites us in. So in this, so let's say we have our life and we have our roots, and then we have our exterior lives, which we think is our life. But Jesus says, no, 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 that's just your exterior life. Now let me invite you in, and that's your life. So in this, he says, I also remain in you. Another time he says, the kingdom of heaven is in you. Paul says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. I like how Paula Darcy says, she says, God comes to you disguised as your life. Don't you like that? So maybe it's like this. We have our life and we're trying to root, right? We're trying to grow. But then we have this planter box. I like that metaphor. 
which we spend an enormous time on, right? And these things are important, but it's just not our life. So it's like the city we live in, where we're going to job, our job, our house, our family, whether we can get married, whether we have kids, or education, uh, our talent. So we spend an enormous amount of energy on this, and we think it's our life. And if we think this is going to give us meaning, at some point it's going to disappoint us. Go to the next slide. And when it disappoints us, you haven't done anything wrong. It's simply an invitation. And so we can choose now. We can double down, which is what the world says. Just do it harder, do it faster, do it stronger, be better, right? Paul calls this rooting in the flesh or the outer self, or some of us call it the false self. And so the scriptures talk about this. We can double down and root in that. So scripture talks about rooting in the love of money. Or for our purposes, we can call it the love of the exterior self. And then the fruit of that over time, you're going to keep drifting and wandering because the thing you're chasing won't give you what you want. And then it says it leads to more pain in your life. There's more pain than it should be. Scriptures always talk, also talk about, then if that happens, maybe you'll root in bitterness because you keep chasing this carrot, this bigger and bigger carrot, and it's not going to give you the thing you want. So you get more and more bitter, and then the fruit of that, as the scriptures say, is trouble. Your life becomes more complicated than it needs to be. Does that make sense? But then perhaps there's another invitation where Paul's inviting us to maybe root in what he calls the spirit or the inner self, or some of us call it the true self. And so the scriptures say you can root in love. If you root in love over time, the fruit of that is faith. I think that's beautiful. Or if you root in trust or consent. One of my favorite verses in Jeremiah says those who trust in the Lord, those whose trust is the Lord. I like the word consent. Those who consent in the Lord, those whose consent is the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water. Their roots are always connected to the source of life. And it doesn't matter the external season. Even in a season of drought, when your exterior life stops giving you what you want, it says there's no anxiety. The fruit of that is peace. Does that make sense? So I was speaking in uh, Canada about a month ago. And I was speaking at a conference called Reimagine Conference. And it was a lot of like new churches like this, really beautiful. And they're trying to reimagine what it looks like to re-engage the neighborhood and the city. And they were having a lot of wonderful conversations, but I like to call them planter box conversations. So they were talking about art and they were talking about organizing and they were talking about Skillshare and housing and bikes and tutoring, and they have all this energy. It's like, ah, art, organizing, right? Because they're, they're trying to start this community. And then they always invite me to these things, and I've noticed a pattern. There's like only one thing I'm good at. They're like, Gideon, can you come speak on burnout? You seem to be very good at burning out. If you want to know how to burn out, ask Gideon, right? So I saw my job there, so there's all this energy, all these new churches, like organizing art, Skillshare, bikes, connecting the neighborhood. And then my job is there, like, okay, that's great. Those are fantastic. Those are meaningful. And then when you hit the wall, and what it looks like in a church is often burnout, you haven't done anything wrong. And when that happens, receive the invitation and ask. That's what we do. Now what will we root in? Who will we root with? And then over time, what will be the fruit of those roots? 
Henry Nouwen says it like this. He says, aren't you like me, hoping that some person, thing, or event will come along and give you that final feeling of inner well-being you desire? Don't you often hope maybe this book, idea, chorus, trip, job, country, or relationship will fulfill my deepest desire? But as long as you're waiting for that mysterious moment, you will go on running helter-skelter, always anxious and restless, always lustful and angry, never fully satisfied. You know that this is the compulsiveness that keeps us going and busy, but at the same time makes us wonder whether we're getting anywhere in the long run. And he says, this is the way to spiritual exhaustion and burnout. This is the way to spiritual death. And when he says that, he's not saying death is a bad thing. Because in our story, death is the necessary process so that new, more meaningful things can resurrect. And so maybe the question we can ask this morning is this. Is your exterior life in service of your interior life? Or is your interior life in service to your exterior? Or maybe we can rephrase it like this. Is your exterior life where you live, what you do, your job, your success, the house you live in, how people perceive you, is that an end in itself? Or is it a means? to an end. John O'Donohue says it like this, if we become addicted to the external, our interiority will haunt us. We will become hungry with the hunger no image, person, deed can still. To be wholesome, we must remain truthful to our vulnerable complexity. In order to keep our balance, he says we need to do both. We need to hold the interior and the exterior, the visible and the invisible, the known and the unknown, the temporal and the eternal, the ancient and the new, together. He says no one can undertake this task for you. You are the one and only threshold of an inner world. This wholesomeness is holiness. To be holy is to be natural, to befriend the worlds that have come to balance you. And so maybe this week we can do this as a spiritual practice. So think of something in your life that disappoints you. It's probably not that hard, right? So think of your exterior life. Maybe it's the city you live in. Maybe it's the rising housing costs. Maybe it's traffic. I-10. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your lack of a job. Maybe it's your spouse or your partner. Maybe it's your lack of a spouse or partner. Maybe you're unable to have children. Maybe you have way too many children. So just think of one. Okay, you got it? Now, what would it look like this week to embrace that disappointment? Just sit with it. Don't run from it. Don't try to fix it. And what if we saw that as an invitation to Christ who's already with us, in us? What would that look like? Let's pick this up in verse 6. So the tone kind of changes here, and it freaks people out sometimes. But I want to remind you that Jesus often uses the Socratic method, right? So he's not trying to wrap things up. He's trying to open us up to more life and more questions. Does it make sense? He's not trying to end the conversation. He's trying to stir more conversation. 
So what I see him doing here, he's poking the conversation bear. That's what he's doing. Okay? So he says, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. It's untethered. It just kind of flies away. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. And all the listeners are like, ah. And he's like, now discuss. But maybe what he's saying is this. Let's say it in a negative way. That's because he's doing it in a negative way. Maybe he's saying an untethered life is too much weight to bear alone. An isolated life feels like death. Maybe that's what he's saying. Or let's say it in a positive way. Maybe he's saying collective, collective rootedness is the path to fullness of life and vitality. So let me ask this question. What in your life uproots you? Like what's something that's happening in your life and you're like, ah, oh, I got to get out of here. I got to hit the eject button. Like what's that thing? I know what it is in my life. I'm still working on it, so I can't really talk about it yet. Yeah. And maybe we can ask conversely this question. What then in turn grounds you? What in your life keeps you rooted when you have that instinct to like bolt? And who is it that grounds you? Who in your life keeps you grounded? So um, I've moved around a lot my whole life. Um, I was born in the world-class metropolitan city of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. <sighs> Nobody? No. Then I moved to Calgary um, before I was one. Lived in South America for a couple years, Suriname. Used to be Dutch Guyana. I moved back to Calgary. Middle school was in Hong Kong, back to Calgary. High school was, was high school and college were in Toronto. Seminary in Chicago. And then Detroit. And then I've now lived in Austin 19 years, which is crazy. So when I was in Canada a month ago, a childhood friend of mine was driving me to the airport, and she was like, man, I can't believe you've lived in Austin for 19 years. Like, I was like, I know. And then she asked, if you could live in any American city, where would you want to live? So I started thinking about it. I was like, so I was on sabbatical this summer and drove around the country. So I was thinking through all the cities I uh, drove through. So I was like, San Francisco, there's no middle class, probably not. Seattle, too rainy. New York, I'm too old. And then I started daydreaming. Um, we drove through the redwoods in Northern California. Have you guys been? And I started thinking about these trees. I have some pictures. So this uh, state park, the, the tree my son is climbing, the average age of a tree in that park is 500 years old. Think about that. The tallest tree in that park is almost 400 feet. So that's the height of Memorial Hermann off uh, I-10. As tall as that building is the tallest tree in that park. The oldest tree in that park, 2,000 years old. Think about that. You know, you know what that means? When Jesus was a teenager, this tree was chilling in California before it was California. That's how old that tree is. So some of you may already know this. So the rootedness of redwood trees, it's unique. They don't root like literally deep. They only root about five feet. But they root a hundred feet wide. And they intertwine with the community of trees that's around them. And it leads to this unparalleled groundedness. So I was thinking about these trees. And then this quote that I had read came to mind. And this is what this quote says. 
For me, trees have always been the most penetrating preachers. I revere them when they live in tribes and families and forests and in groves. A tree says, a kernel is hidden in me, a spark, a thought. I am life from eternal life. The attempt and risk that the eternal God took with me is unique. Unique the form and veins of my skin. Unique the smallest play of my leaves and my branches and the smallest scar on my bark. I was made to form and reveal the eternal in my smallest special detail. When we are stricken and cannot bear our lives any longer, then the tree has something to say to us. Be still, be still, look at me. Life is not easy, life is not difficult. Those are childish thoughts. Let God speak within you and your thoughts will grow silent. You are anxious because your path leads away from God and home, but every step, every day leads you back again to God. Home is neither here nor there. Home is within you or home is nowhere at all. And so she was asking me this question. I was thinking of different cities and I was dreaming about these trees and I thought of this quote. And then I told her, I was like, so I visited all these cities on my sabbatical you know what city got the biggest cheer when we drove into it? We probably visited a dozen cities. When we pulled into Austin, Texas, and we turned left onto our street, we were high-fiving, crying, hugging, and we were cheering like, ah, you know what we were cheering for? We were cheering for 19 years of roots in our city, in our neighborhood. 19 years of kids growing up across the street, the elementary school and all the kids, of store owners, bar owners, my cycling club, acquaintances. Uh, roots with a community that I've been a part of for over a decade, that we've rooted collectively together. And so on my sabbatical, I was untethered for three months, and I noticed the difference. You know what changed? I started having more planter box envy. So I was driving around the city, uh, around the country. We house sat for friends in the Bay Area. He lives in a neighborhood next to George Lucas. It's a neighborhood built by Stephen Eichler. They're all Stephen Eichler homes. This is what it looks like. So I was sitting there having coffee one morning, and I thought to myself, this planter box is much nicer than my planter box. I think I need a new planter box. My current job does not afford me that planter box. I think I need a new job. <laughs> we had just bought a church building before I left, so I was kind of thinking about it. I visited my friend's church, St. Gregory's in San Francisco. I walked into the sanctuary and saw this, and I thought, this planter box is much nicer than my planter box. I think I'm going to have to buy a new planter box. And I, thought, and I caught myself. I was like, well, what am I doing? And I realized the wealthiest thing I have in my life are those roots of 19 years that collectively grounds me in Christ. And so this is the question this morning, Ecclesia. I don't know how long you've been here, how long you've been a part of this community, but if this is where you want to root, maybe this is the spiritual practice. Stake your claim in this soil and say, these are the people I'm going to root with over five, over 10 years, and I want to experience the fruit that comes with it. So maybe that looks like just getting involved, serving, setting up chairs, baking bread, helping with the kids, serving the unserved. 
Maybe it's a relational investment. The scripture is talking about how our heart follows our investment. So look around the room. Take a look. Who do you know in this room? Whose story have you heard? Who's heard your story? What would it look like to maybe join a small group, take someone out to lunch? Maybe it's a financial investment because our heart follows our investment. And if you make that investment, know that this is a deeply, deeply generous community. This is a community that goes down to the caravan and serves them food. When Ecclesia heard that we bought a building, they sent us all these chairs. I've never seen my congregation so excited about a chair. They sat on a chair, they're like, oh my goodness, this is a very nice chair, this is wonderful. Ecclesia heard that we needed new HVAC and they wrote a check and we have AC and HVAC now and so that we can collectively root over time in air conditioning. It's gonna be awesome. So I don't know what that means to take the next step. Maybe it's calling your bank, setting up automatic pay. But whatever it looks like to say, this is my soil, these are my people, and I will root collectively over time. What would that look like? And so let's finish the text this morning. So in verse 7, Jesus says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, what does it say? You will have all the answers to life you need. Right? Is that what it said? Remain in me as my words remain in you. Every existential question you've ever had, here's this box and you've got answers, right? Remain in me if my words remain in you. Life's going to be super easy. Is that what it says? It says remain in me and if my words remain in you, then you get to ask more questions. I kind of like that. So let's finish with this. Do you guys ever think about AI? I think about it a lot, I'm kind of obsessed about it, right? Have you heard Elon Musk talk about AI? It's not, it's not looking good. <laughs> He's like, the species isn't gonna make it unless we merge, like, enjoy your life now. Uh, but Kevin Kelly, who started Wired Magazine, he had some things to say that I thought were really profound and I think pertains to this conversation. He says, robots are really good at giving answers. And he says, you know what human beings are good at? Asking questions. This is what he says. So he says, we have this world where basically answers have become cheap and ubiquitous, and they're everywhere. And so what's much more valuable and scarce are good questions. And he said, good questions are like a discovery. They're a way of exploring what if, and he says, it turns out it's not very efficient. Then he says this about science but I wish people talked about faith in the same way. So I'm going to add faith. So he says science, and I'll add faith, is inherently inefficient. Because if you're 100% efficient as a scientist or person of faith, you're not learning anything new. He says, so trial and error. There's the error part. There's the failure. It's so important. The dead ends. All these things are an essential part of exploring, trying, discovering, which are inherently inefficient. And he says, so are human relationships. Humans are experts of wasting time. And he says, I think, this, he says, I think as AIs rise, that's what human beings will do. There's plenty of room for us to explore, curate, invent, innovate, love, chat, experience things. And then he says, Ultimately, there's a larger resonance of this idea in asking a question, of asking why, 
not just why the first time, but why, 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 all the way down as far as we can go. And he says, in some ways, that echoes the structure of the universe, that it's probably built on a question. And so Kevin Kelly says this, I have it on the screen. The answer to a good question is more and better questions. Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask, ask whatever you wish. So you could say that maybe fundamentalism and religious institutionalism at its lowest form are trying to create robots that give answers. And maybe healthy faith is trying to free us to ask questions, to free us from be needing to be experts so that we can engage the world as explorers, to free us from needing to conquest and convert so we can enter this world out of curiosity. And so, Ecclesia, will you ask questions, more and more questions? And is this your soil, and are these your people? And so this is my prayer for us this morning. Ecclesia, may we securely root in the source of life. May we be like the great sacred redwoods. May we deepen our roots with each other as we learn to stay rooted in the divine mystery that's already rooted in us. May we hold tightly to our, hold lightly to our externality and our decorated planter boxes with open hands so that when the disappointments of what we think of as life, where we live, what we do, what we're good at, what we know, what we believe, what we need others to see us to be, when those finally run its course, and life offers us the profound gift of disappointment. May we discover Christ already in us, the kingdom of heaven in us, and get a glimpse of the hope of glory, the hope of eternity, the hope of timelessness already here and now. May we root together and stake your claim in this soil so that over decades of time, we can experience the timelessness of life. And may God grace us with fruit that's more grounding, more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And may this depth of being rooted in love allow us to live freely so that we can ask and ask and ask and to learn from our little ones here at Ecclesia and say, why, 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 why? Like seriously, why? And enter the kingdom of heaven like a child with childlike joy, trust, wonder and endless questions and so ecclesia may we stand still the trees ahead and the bushes beside us are not lost wherever we are is called here may we treat it as a powerful stranger may we ask permission to know it and be known the forest breathes listen it answers God made this place around you. If we leave it, may we come back again, saying here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on us, we are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where we are. We must let it find us. We pray this in the love of the Father, the invitation of the Son, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, 
please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.